Okay, and we're live. Namaste and welcome to the 50th edition of the Bharat Vartha Weekly. I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have uh, Abhishek Paul and Srivatsa Subhana here to run you through the news and events of the week that was. We have tons of inciting, uh, I mean, tons of exciting, insightful stuff uh, coming up on this uh, weekly. We're talking about the MasterCard ban, the turmoil in South Africa, Djokovic uh, winning his third Grand Slam in the year, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Ola Electric uh, taking orders for their scooter. I think they clocked 100k plus orders on the first day itself. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the Zomato IPO, of course, and the uh, upcoming Paytm IPO. And uh, some political news uh, from Punjab uh, seems to be trouble in Congress there, in the Congress outfit there. So, yeah, lovely, beautiful weather here in Bangalore. How are you guys doing, Vatsa and uh, Abhishek? Hi, okay. doing good. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of weather that, uh, you know, <laughs> you just want to grab a cup of chai and just watch your favorite soap or whatever, right? So, all right. So, uh, we put out a couple of uh, very interesting episodes uh, last week. Uh, we did one on the cabinet reshuffle, what is the significance and so on and so forth with uh, Rohit Jairaman. Uh, what's up, what do you think about this? I think uh, it was a phenomenal episode, right? I mean... Uh... The thing is, there is a lot written on cabinet reshuffle every time it happens. But most of it is, you know, guesswork or uh, speculation. And what Rohit did was he actually went into the details of each Mm. and every decision that was taken, why it possibly could have been taken and what is the political significance of some of these decisions. So it was very different from what you normally listen to or read about cabinet reshuffles. So I think people should, you know, just get a subscription and actually watch it. So you understand some of the nuances on uh, decision making at the highest level. Yeah, absolutely. Super comprehensive, very, very thorough analysis of the reshuffle. Uh, Of course, join our community on YouTube if you want to access that. Um, I really loved uh, talking to uh, Sri N.K. Chaudhary ji. Uh, you know, although my Hindi uh, <laughs> leaves much to be desired, I mean, I think we we were able to communicate. Uh, it was uh, it was fantastic. I mean, some of the things that he was talking about sounded like you know uh, things that uh, a 22 or 23 year old startup CEO would talk about, right? Unlearning, decentralization, um, you know, investing in the community, and so on and so forth. So. Fantastic uh, episode. Again, very, very inspirational. He's been running that business for four decades and he's impacted more than 40,000 viewers and and their families and the ecosystems around them. So definitely do check it out. All right, moving on to the first piece of news from the week. RBI has restricted MasterCard from onboarding new customers. MasterCard was hit with this ban for failing to comply with data localization rules. It will go into power from 22nd July onwards. RBL Bank, Yes Bank, and Bajaj FinServe have their entire credit card scheme on MasterCard. The estimated time required to shift to an alternative like Visa or Rupee is uh, supposed to be around 8 to 10 weeks. RBI has made it clear that this change will not affect existing cardholders and only applies to banks and customers going forward. Abhishek, uh, what do you think about this? I think RBI is like, you know, uh, tightening the rules on data localization and things to that effect, right? Yeah, so uh, I think MasterCard is the uh, third major, uh, you know, payment organization, credit card organization to get hit. Uh, earlier, RBI had barred Amex and Diners Club 
from conducting their new customer business uh, from 1st of May, right? So uh, that leaves basically Visa and uh, Rupee uh, as the only, uh, uh, you know, credit card payment companies uh, available for Indian banks to tie up with. And as you said, like some banks had their entire credit card portfolio with MasterCard. So RBL Bank, which is the erstwhile Ratnakar Bank, they have uh, now come out and said that they will be moving to Visa shortly. Now, it's a, we are assuming that Visa has actually complied with the norms. There are no official statements around that, but I believe sources are telling us that as of now, Visa is compliant. So the genesis of this is uh, this uh, situation is the data local, localization norms brought out by RBI in April 2018, right, where they said that uh, basically they mandated end-to-end transaction details which are originating within India to be stored within India. Now, data, lo- data localization is not something which is India-specific discussion, right? So countries like China, Russia, and even the European Union are trying to enforce this. And India has been trying to do it since 2018. Um, so, so basically the RBI norms uh, impacted not only these credit card network companies, but even big tech companies like Google, WhatsApp, and all that, right? So most of them have complied or are trying to comply actively. Uh, but of course, some uh, of these global players uh, decided not to comply. I guess the main reason is that, you know, one, to comply with these things, you need to have all your servers, uh, you know, newly installed within the country, not already done, right? That's a major cost uh, that that basically uh, is to be borne by these, uh, you know, worldwide players who basically could also be optimizing their costs by not doing it, right? So it's a big hit on their uh, numbers in that sense. And also, I think there are certain sec- sec- sectors or thought processes which say that, you know, this is not something to be done, right? And they want to maintain cross-national data. So uh, let's see how this develops. As of now, with India being a big market, I would say India does have an upper hand in this, but this is a debate that will, you know, sort of continue for some time. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we haven't heard the last of this, right? So, yeah. all right, moving on. Indians in South Africa are facing arson and looting. Riots have broken out in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal with thousands of Indian-owned businesses looted and destroyed. Tensions have been running high in the nation after protests following the jailing of former President Jacob Zuma. Over 117 individuals of Indian origin have been killed since the riots began. 25,000 troops have begun taking up positions across the country in one of its biggest deployments yet. What's up? What is actually happening here? Right. So uh, the thing is, historically, uh, there has always been tension between uh, Indians and uh, blacks in South Africa. Uh, most Indians live in Natal. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, about two thirds of them live in and around Durban with another third spread across the country. Uh, and Durban is where it seems all the rioting is happening, right? Uh, Inkatha uh, Inanda, which is a settlement near in Durban, is where uh, 
Mahatma Gandhi started his movement, and uh, that's where you know a lot of Indians uh, settled in, right? Uh, even uh, South Africa's trade union movement started there. But what has happened is, you know, it's something that has been going on for years. So there are these uh, sporadic uh, clashes and violence that kind of flare up once in a few decades in South Africa. So the last time this happened was uh, in 90, 1985, where a four-day riot was pretty much unleashed on the Indian community, right? And uh, many people were killed, many businesses were destroyed even then, and the community was pretty much overrun and replaced with uh, with blacks. So it's not like it's something new. Uh, also, another thing is that uh, there is. there has historically been resentment towards indians right and it's the case across the world i mean uh, whether it's indians uh, in south africa or fiji or you know other parts of africa idi amin throughout you know indians from uh, from his country right or the hatred towards chinese in southeast asia uh, it's more to do with the economic success of these communities and that's at the root of all this violence right and what has also happened is with the pandemic there has been a huge recession in south africa and as always you know the poorest of the poor get hit got hit by the uh, pandemic and all of this has kind of been bottled up right uh, jacob zuma himself has been seen as uh, someone who sold out the country to indians uh, you know he favored a few uh, businessmen of indian origin and uh, it's kind of moved on from hatred towards jacob zuma then he got arrested uh, and so on right and now indians are being targeted indian businesses are being targeted uh, i think that you know south africa's problems are a lot deeper uh, in the sense that they are pretty diverse you know just like india it's a it's a collection of tribes that has come together to form a nation and the african national congress has an idea of what south africa should be and they're pretty much asking tribes and communities to forget their own identity and you know kind of associate with the south african identity or what their idea of south african identity is now the problem with that is most of these tribes and communities are hundreds if not thousands of years old and they value their heritage and they don't want to give it up while the african national congress has been trying to you know sort of homogenize the nation in a certain way uh, all of this the economic success of some communities the poverty recession uh, this trying to force one identity it it kind of has come to a boiling point and i think uh, it's going to be hard for south africa unless things change economically there uh, that's how i see it uh, which also tells you that you know india's success as a country despite having so much diversity is something that the world should look at as a success story instead of regularly trying to shame us for it yeah uh, very well put moving on to some lighter news Novak Djokovic uh, won his third Grand Slam in the calendar year. Novak uh, won his third straight major at Wimbledon on Sunday, beating Matteo Berrettini to tie rivals Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal with 20 career Grand Slam titles. Wow! In the fall, 
Djokovic will follow up his Wimbledon win by competing for the calendar year slam at the US Open. He could become the first man to win a golden slam if he takes home the gold medal at Tokyo and wins the the US Open. Abhishek, I think the the only person who's done this is Steffi Graf, right? Before this, like an only player, I suppose. Yes. So Steffi yeah. Graf uh, won all four Grand Slams and the Olympics in 1988, and it's incredible uh, that yeah. Djokovic is run still in the contention uh, going into the Olympics, having won the first three. Uh, Grand Slam. So, if you look at, as you said, right, he's tied up with uh, Federer and Nadal on 20 Grand Slams. Essentially, these three have won 60 out of the last 70 odd Grand Slams that have happened, which is um, an amazing sort of achievement. And uh, I mean, three Grand Slams in a year is something uh, that has been done quite a few times before. Djokovic himself uh, has uh, done it. Last in 2015, I believe. Now, uh, if we even leave aside the Olympics, uh, the Grand Slam in a calendar year concept is very rare, right? So the last time uh, Rod Laver did it in 1969, right? And since then, no ma- uh, men's player has achieved that. Now, in 1969, the tennis world was very different. I mean, the U.S. Open, which we all know is a hard court. Tournament those days was a grass court tournament, so the diversity of surfaces and the challenges have increased substantially since then. So the what Djokovic is on his way to achieve, uh, whether he achieves or not, is a different thing. But it's it's going to be a remarkable effort, and uh, let's see if he is able to pull it off. But one thing is for sure that uh, given that he is the youngest of the big three. tennis players it looks likely that he will end up uh, with the most number of grand slam uh, tournament wins uh, which may not please some of your viewers but that's how it is yeah yeah it's okay it'll happen this I mean, year only. it'll it'll happen but yeah still uh, federer forever right so uh, uh, but what's amazing is you know i mean what federer is i think pushing 40 right nadal is probably 30 a couple of 35, years uh, yeah, 35 Oh, 35, and this guy is 34, right? I mean, I remember a time when tennis players retired at 28, 29. It's pretty, yeah. pretty remarkable how much uh, the sport has progressed in terms of fitness and commitment and things like that, right? So, pretty, pretty phenomenal. All right, uh, moving on. Ola Electric has started pre-bookings for its electric scooter. They've already crossed 100,000 pre-bookings on the first day itself. Customers can pre-book their Ola scooter by paying a refundable deposit of 499. Ola says that customers who pre-book the scooter will get priority delivery. Ola also recently announced the launch of its own manufacturing unit, the Future Factory. Ola's 500-acre manufacturing unit is currently located in Hosur, Tamil Nadu, and the construction is in full swing. So, what's up? Did you order for? Did you order your first uh, Ola electric uh, bike yet? Ah, uh, it'll be interesting, right? I mean, uh, what what? uh the ceo is saying that the battery will be separate which makes it uh, very attractive in the mm-hmm. sense that you don't need a separate charging point in your parking area you can just carry the battery get it charged and put it back in the scooter right um yeah anyway i mean uh, it's it's been a phenomenal phenomenal achievement by ola because i remember it was only in august that uh, bhavish agarwal mentioned that uh, 
Ola will launch electric scooters and they plan to hire 2000 people and so on. Uh, I mean, we must remember that the pandemic has forced, uh, you know, players like Ola and Uber to kind of rethink their business model entirely. And uh, Ola has decided that its future lies with electrical vehicles and it's want to, and it wants to build electrical vehicles and sell them. Right. Uh, it was only in March that we heard them say that they want to build a full-fledged factory in 12 weeks. Now we are in mid-July and they've already done it. So again, another, you know, tick in the box for a phenomenal achievement, right? Uh, they also are planning to set up 100,000 EV chargers. It's something we've covered in an early week, earlier weekly. They're calling it the hypercharger network across 400 cities. Uh, another good thing that that's happening for Ola is that the government has decided to increase subsidy on uh, electric two-wheelers, mm. right? Uh, so with the FAME2 program, and I think that is another thing we have covered in a weekly earlier. So we are at a stage where, you know, things look good for Ola in the sense that oil prices are pretty high. So petrol and diesel prices in India are at a record high. Uh, there is this going to be this demand for uh, electrical vehicles, especially scooters, you know, not everyone can afford to buy a car. So, you know, to take an idea saying that we'll start selling electric scooters in August and here we are in the next July and they're already taking bookings. I think hats off, hats off to Ola Electric. They've done a great job. Uh, Sure, they've not yet delivered, but I think to have come this far in such a short time is nothing short of phenomenal. Uh, having said that, uh, I think the EV market in India is ex- expected to be around 200 billion in another decade, right? And if with Ola having a head start, it's not unrealistic to look at them having like a 15-20% market share. So which in itself makes it like a 30-40 billion dollars of sales in another decade, which again, is, you know, if it happens, it's going to be phenomenal. So, uh, I mean, hats off to them. They've done a great job in such a short time. Uh, Hopefully, you know, they don't, and they've kind of taken on the Elon Musk route by asking for a deposit and all of that. But I do hope they're able to deliver, you know, a lot faster than uh, Tesla did with its Model T. Yeah. No, I think um, in general, I feel the EV market is where internet startups were about 15 years back, right? Uh, I think we're still very, very early in the innovation curve and uh, people are being forced to build full stack capabilities right now, right? Entire battery and charging station and the bike and everything, right? Uh, And I think all of that will only reduce going further. And I'm not even talking about decades. I'm talking about a few years, right? Four, five years from now, I think, you know, once, once they build compatibility across devices and so on, right? It's going to be a very different uh, ball game, I feel. Yeah. All right. Uh, all the best to Ola. In other exciting startup news, last week, the much-awaited Zomato IPO went live. And uh, uh, we also hear Paytm is gearing up for their IPO as well. So Zomato's IPO was a runaway success with the company's share oversubscribed by 38 times. The company also raised 4,197 crore from 186 anchor investors. Paytm is gearing up for India's biggest IPO yet, filing papers for a 16,600 crore outlay. About 8,300 crores will be through a fresh issue and the remaining 50% uh, would be secondary issues. So 
uh, Abhishek, I mean, we're witnessing like, you know, uh, history being made here, right? I mean, Zomato, a 12-year-old startup, IPOing, and then, you know, uh, Paytm going, going up next. Yes, so I think the Zomato IPO looks like it was a success in terms of the subscription part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Institutional investors oversubscribed it 52 times, HNIs did 33 times, retail investors 7.5 times. It's only the employees part of it, which is a small part. For some reason, it will not fully subscribe. So I think at the upper end of their listing, they're looking at a market cap of 60,000 crores, which is very impressive for a company which is not yet uh, uh, profit making. I mean, this whole uh, loss making company doing IPO led to an interesting debate, right? You would have seen so many posts on various social networks, including LinkedIn, where people giving all sorts of opinions on why they would or they would not invest here. Uh, so, I mean, even among the really big names in the industry, people like Rakesh Junjunwala said that, you know, he can't make sense of this valuation, while others like Nilesh Shah said that, you know, this is how the future is going to be. And especially with, you know, Chinese companies losing their market cap due to various reasons, this is the opportunity for Indian startups, right? So that's one kind of debate that is happening. The second thing, as you said, is Paytm is coming out with a 16,600 crore IPO sometime expected near Diwali. And in rupee terms, it will make it India's uh, biggest IPO, right? The previous highest in rupee terms was Coal India with about 15,475 crores, right? So, of course, in dollar terms, uh, Coal India was higher uh, because of how the rupee dollar valuation is. Uh, nevertheless, it's a really big uh, IPO number, right? Uh, uh, of course, about Paytm, what we know is that it is right now a foreign-funded and controlled company with you know Chinese firms like Ant Group, uh, Alibaba, etc. having stakes. SoftBank has a big stake, and it seems that even after the IPO, they have said that it will continue to remain a foreign-funded and controlled company. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how it performs. Uh, how, what they plan to do with those funds is about 4,300 crores of it is going to go into growing and strengthening the ecosystem, which is very crucial for, you know, a payment company, right, as you can expect. And then uh, 2,000 crores is going into new business initiatives and acquisitions and rest is for uh, general corporate purposes. Uh, so uh, interesting and exciting times. Uh, uh, we'll have to see how Paytm does. I think if you look at how Paytm has performed in the last few years, it's actually sort of uh, went a little bit behind Google Pay initially, but they have made a strong comeback, I believe, over the last few quarters. And so uh, with that momentum also behind them, uh, I would say good luck to them uh, in their fundraising and IPO. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I mean, it'll be validation for multiple sort of business models, right? Payment, commerce, the whole neobank aspect and so on. So yeah, interesting times ahead for sure. All right. Uh, finally, with some political news, trouble seems to be brewing in the Punjab Congress. Navjot Singh Sidhu has been engaging in a political tussle with Captain Amrinder Singh, the Chief Minister of Punjab. In his interviews with the media, 
Sidhu has mentioned that the current government is no different is no different to the previous uh, BJP and SAD regime. He brought in issues such as the drug menace, uh, sand mining mafia, and farmers' wars. He's aiming to become the president of the Punjab Pradesh Congress. Sources uh, say that Amrinder Singh will remain the chief ministerial face of the party for the upcoming assembly elections. What's up? What seems to be happening here? There's a lot of love between uh, <laughs> Sidhu and Amrinder Singh, right? <laughs> Historically, uh, I think again this this seems to have uh, you know all the all the sort of imprint of what is the new Congress, which is complete disregard for strong local leaders. Uh, must remember that you know Amrinder Singh got like 80 seats out of 117 for the Congress in the last assembly elections. And it was one of the few states where the Congress was not wiped out in the 2019 elections. They did pretty okay uh, in the 2019 elections as well. Uh, so this could not have happened, you know, especially knowing how the Congress runs. You know, we've done a very detailed episode uh, with, you know, Rohit uh, law a while ago, but this would not have happened without, you know, blessing from the highest levels, this kind of... Uh, this kind of a rebellion uh, within the Congress, right? Uh, there have been issues with the Amrinder Singh government. So there were a couple of cases against, you know, the in, in terms of the desecration of the Guru Granth Sahib, uh, the SIT that was formed by the government, the High Court pretty much quashed the SIT and asked them to form a new one. Uh, the other thing you mentioned with the, uh, with, you know, the farmers was, so one of the first things the government did was to waive off some of the farmer loans. About 5,000 crores uh, were kind of uh, you know, sent to the farmers. Uh, again, uh, the complaint seems to be that this was largely decided by the bureaucrats and not by the politicians. But I think the state machinery is you know, kind of best place to understand uh, you know, who deserves subsidies and who does not, right? Because... They have their pulse on what's happening in the ground, not the politicians. Uh, you know, it's been going on for a while. The Congress set up a committee, uh, you know, I think more than a year ago. They've been meeting people as always and, you know, not concluded anything uh, meaningful. But uh, so it does seem like, you know, Sidhu will become the Congress president. And Amrinder Singh is pretty much, uh, you know, uh, the deal face of Congress in Punjab. He's the senior most leader. He's quite old. He's 79, which could, you know, be another reason why Sidhu is making his move now so that uh, with elections due next year, he could, he would want to put his hat, uh, you know, as a potential chief minister. Uh, I don't know if uh, having someone like Sidhu who doesn't have a lot of on-ground political experience, uh, leading the Congress party is a good thing. Uh, but, you know, the Congress has continued to make some strange decisions uh, in terms of how it treats its regional leaders for a while now. So this is just, you know, one more step in that direction as I see it. Yeah. So some interesting comments on uh, YouTube. Mandar says... Uh, Congress is only hastening its uh, demise, right? So, right. Yeah, so that was a wrap uh, for this week, right? Uh, we have a couple of very interesting episodes coming up. Uh, we have a big one with uh, uh, 
uh, Sri Jayan Sinha, who's going to be appearing on our podcast. Uh, again, privilege and honor to host him. He has a new bill uh, proposing a net zero Bharat by 2050. I think uh, super interesting again, right? We talk about sustainability and stuff uh, on the podcast fairly often. Uh, it'll be really interesting to understand, you know, how he plans to um, help us achieve this, right? And what the implications could be like. Uh, there's also this other episode that uh, I recorded with uh, Pramodji and uh, um, Haritaji of Mindmakers. Mindmakers, uh, as uh, many of you know, has been active since 2015 um, and has uh, proactively shaped the uh, discourse, at least in the diaspora, right? Very, very actively. And they've had a significant impact in, in the way that, you know, uh, Indian current affairs, foreign policy, etc. is perceived, right? Uh, and they've done phenomenal work, uh, very, very prolific, put out like multiple articles and uh, books and other initiatives. They have a they have a book that's coming up, which is very similar to the uh, the Manorama yearbook, right? But uh, from an Indic perspective, so definitely do check it, check it out. I mean, go log into mind.net and, uh, uh, you know, absolutely support them. Uh, we spoke about their journey and also, you know, how it's mirrored the rise of this independent media that we're seeing and that we're, you know, a part of as well, right? So two very fantastic uh, episodes coming up. We have a third one on Cargill coming up the week after, which should also be pretty interesting. So tons of interesting content uh, lined up for you guys. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, the usual house, uh, house rules, basically. Uh, we're now on Patreon. You can support us on Patreon. You can also join our community on YouTube. Uh, uh, and uh, this being the 50th uh, uh, weekly, we will be premium only from next week. Uh, we'd love to see all of you, uh, you know, on our uh, weeklies again, uh, starting next week. Uh, so the, the idea is to also have a bit of an AMA format, uh, extend our 30 minutes to maybe like 40 or 45. Uh, you could uh, share some questions that you might have uh, through the week and you could probably tweet this to us or you could you know, reach out to us in, uh, in uh, on other social channels. And we'll definitely take this up and uh, address these questions in a sort of an AMA format on the weekly itself. So yeah, uh, I'd love to see all of you guys uh, on the weekly next week onwards. Uh, so we'll be premium only. And that's a wrap from us uh, here at Bharatvarta. So from Vatsa, Abhishek and myself, thank you so much for joining us and hope to see you next week. Do stay safe, uh, take Good care of yourself and uh, enjoy the weather, I suppose.